0: linear illusion. This book, published in the Unseen Citadel of Zorat, contains secrets that weren't meant to be revealed for centuries. By reading it now, you are shifting the focus of the maze of reality and destroying a world that could have been. That future is a banana that will now remain unpeeled. Welcome to Tabletop Arcanum, this is Justin and I, I am bringing you an RPG review this episode and we're diving into exploring Eberron, a... DM Guild book put out by Keith Baker through KB Percents on the DM's Guild website. And this is a primarily big deep dive lore book of Eberron that well, I'm a big fan of the Eberron setting, so I wanted to kind of read through this one and get through it and kind of talk about it because if you're a fellow Eberron fan like myself or looking into the setting from the Rising of Glass source book for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition... This might be the next expansion book that you may want to pick up, because it takes what was there and just compounds on it. And if you're an old Eberron fan, you may also want to do the same. A, because it's Eberron and you're going to want to devour anything about it anyway, but more importantly, it's hitting topics that have yet to really been deep-dived into. So, first let's go over the fact that this is a book not officially published, it is not an official source book. The player options, items, and equipment are not canon Dungeons & Dragons for Adventure Guild or things like that, so it's a little bit more for your homebrew games, which is just fine. Eberron can do that, so you can kind of take it or leave it as you will. You won't find any support of the material in things like D&D Beyond or anything of that nature, so... Heads up, you may have to do some custom content creation if you are a user of those devices and want to use things out of this book. It is available as a PDF for $29.95 through DMs Guild. You can also get it printed in a premium hardcover color book, which is what I did. That is $59.95, or you can get a bundle for both of them, $64.95 currently, which is a really nice price because you can get the digital copy, but then you can have the physical copy as well. That's more of a user choice. I don't think it's a book that necessarily needs to be in a physical handprint copy because you're not going to really pass it around. But I enjoyed reading through it and having it in my hands just to read through all the lore and like putting a bookmark in it, setting it down, and picking it up when I had free time let's also talk about the quality of the book. This will be my first time ordering something as a print-on-demand through the DMs Guild. So I was actually relatively impressed by the quality of the book itself. It fits, feels, and looks pretty much like every other mainstay RPG book. Kudos to that, it looks great on the shelf, alongside all the official source books that are officially published. And then the paperweight quality and binding seem to be very, very good and strong. This seems to be one that will hold up just as long as any of the other RPG books and possibly a little bit longer, and we'll go into a little bit of why later, but that's because most it's a source book of lore and background, and you're not going to be necessarily referring to this book at the game table all the time. More for DMs to prep and things of that nature, or during character creation and background details. First impressions, I was excited for this because this is something that Keith Baker had been posting and previewing for a long time and teasing. There's always been this intellectual property issue with, Eberron being owned by Wizards of the Coast and not being able to create additional side content for it because Wizards of the Coast controlled the IP. Then they worked together and got the Wayfinder's Guide on DM's Guild, and that kind of opened the floodgates for people to create that third-party stuff through the DM's Guild then. So it took a while for this to come up, but I think it's well worth it. It's a book that definitely grew and grew and grew, and unless someone told them to stop, I don't think this would have been a book that really did stop. It does cover a little bit of information that's already been covered in other areas, but that's mostly just to kind of colorize the expansion upon other ideas. Overall, first impressions, I think this book is a really interesting idea in concept, and it hits like kind of a shotgun effect of a bunch of different topics. It's not a Races of Eberron, Faiths of Eberron book, or Plains of Eberron book but it has all of those things within it. It's a very good next level effect of here's a bunch of stuff about new things, deeper dives into some of the stuff that have been lightly touched on over the years. So let's talk about the book itself. I will go through each chapter kind of quickly, just to kind of give an overview what's in it, what I liked about it, what I didn't like about it, and then we'll kind of do a big overview in the end. Chapter one was discovering Eberron. That had A lot of history went into details of the creation, Age of Demons, Age of Giants, Ancient Monsters, talks about the last war, one big thing that it did do well is it dived into sections like Sire Before the morning. Sire is almost always talked about in other source books as here's the morning in the land, and this is what it is currently. But if you're a refugee or someone who came from there, you kind of want to know what the country was like before everything blew it up so that you know what you're trying to recreate or trying to get back to or, you know, what you should remember. So having a lot more expansion on that was a very big thing. One other thing I didn't like about this chapter is there's a couple fun tables of here's the bullet point history marks, but more importantly, hey, do you need like a random historical event that doesn't really cover or anything just for your story or plot hook? Here's a table. Here's a list of things. Here's a list of entities that could be involved with it. And here might be some reasons for it. I really enjoyed some of that. Also dived into Magic of the World and Artificers and Innovation and kind of just really explaining how magic is treated much more like a science and it's not necessarily a steampunk setting in the sense that everything is set there but more of a realistic setting that if magic existed it would have driven industry and innovation and here's how it has shaped Eberron. Chapter 2 I was okay with this chapter. This was the races of Eberron it dove a little bit deeper into changelings, the elves of Aerondal, the kalashar, the shifters and the warforged. There are a lots of source books on all these topics. It does correlate a lot of it into a nice clean spot, so I do like it for that, opposed to having to dig through all the different source books for every little tidbit about traveling changings and established changelings versus the elves in all or, or details about the kalastar and how they function. I don't necessarily feel like it did anything super groundbreaking or new, but it definitely is, if you want to know more about the races of Eberron and all you've experienced is Rising from the Last War or Wayfinder's Guide, this is definitely the next level of knowledge that you're looking for. Chapter 3, Faiths of Eberron. Faiths of Eberron was a source book back in the 3.5 days, and it was pretty good. I liked it a lot back then. And this does a lot of that same groundwork and dive into what some of this stuff is like for Eberron and more than here's a couple pages about the faiths and what they do. It really dives into the Silver Flame, the history, the lore, how they've impacted the world. The Blood of Vol, how they function, and doesn't necessarily paint the Blood of Vol as a evil necromancers sort of vibe that a lot of the other sourcebooks have kind of painted them, but it really just takes it back like, this is how they function, this is how they work, this is how it is. There's that stigma about them, yes, but that's not necessarily always the case. The Sovereigns in the Dark Six are covered. The best piece of this entire section, though, I will say, is actually the bits on the Cults of the Dragon Below. Because the cults of the Dragon Blow isn't a unified thing. It's just kind of a big tagline for anything that is weird, culty, or deals with kyber or kyber creatures. They all function differently. Like, in the real world, it's just saying all cults are equal. Not really. It doesn't work that way. So, it's nice to see a lot of that and a lot of examples and how they can function and differently how they can impact your game. The one thing that I found odd about the Face of Eberron chapter was that... The Asimar descriptor is put into here. Now, they're not necessarily a race of Eberron that exists because Eberron's a campaign setting. The issue I kind of had with, while it felt in place, it also felt out of place. And that's just maybe where I would have liked it to be put with the other race information and just saying, hey, these are the four core races of Eberron, plus elves, and here's the deeper dive on that. And that's kind of a small nitpicky detail, but I do like the fact that they are discussed because things like Tieflings and Asimars and Dragonborn weren't necessarily there at the get-go of the creation of Eberron. And it's one of those weird philosophies. Everything in D&D has a place in Eberron. It doesn't mean that everything has to be in Eberron, but if you want it in there, there's some place in the world that it could fit. And that's great to see some examples of where Asmar and how Asmar connects to the faiths of Eberron, when one of the big differences between Eberron and mostly other settings is there are no fantastical gods that will come down and talk to you as a hero character. They're much like our real world faith of... It's a faith. You have to believe in the Dark Six or the Sovereign Host. Are they real? Maybe? Maybe not? Chapter 4. This was one of the larger chapters. This is the Uncharted Domains. This covered areas in Corvair and Eberron that haven't really been deeply touched in other prior material. And I love the chapter for this. It goes into a huge dive into the Kingdom of Monsters, or Doram. It goes into also a deep dive into goblin history, and the, or the Dakani, and what's really neat about that is part of the history of Eperon is humanity and, and modern culture is built on the ruins of a goblin empire that expanded the continent. Well, let's talk about that culture, to go into what that was, so if you're playing goblin characters, you have a huge chunk of history to go into here so that you can remember what Maybe it's been handed down from goblin mother to goblin daughter throughout the years. And a nice touch to it because uh, all of the novels that were put out by Eberron has had goblins and goblin languages put in there. So there's a two-page spread in this book that actually is the goblin language and a glossary of what words are. And if you want to RP and flavor that into your game, great. It's there for you. Go for it. One other section it does dive into that has been touched a little bit. But never into this deep detail either was the Morholts, where the dwarves come from, and what are they doing, and how do all the clans interact, and how's dwarven culture impacted Ebron. And it's interesting because we've seen the deep dive on elves, we know how the Talanta half are different, and we know that the Zill gnomes are, are Zill gnomes. In most other source books, and I've heard this in the community before and I've seen it before, dwarves are dwarves. And then, like, that was just kind of the feeling. Like, dwarves weren't really anything unique or special in Eberron. And the 5th edition Wayfinder's Guide and Rising from the Last War have really twisted that around a little bit to make sure, like, no, here's some things that make dwarves unique to Eberron. And, you know, here's a little twist on the standard old tropes, but this takes it to the next level of, here's what they're dealing with, here's what the clans are like, and if you really want to be a member of one of the most notable Dwarven clans, here's a couple paragraphs about that clan so you can get more information on it. And then the chapter rounds out with talking about the undersea in Eberron, the Thundering Sea specifically, which was actually cut material from prior source books, where you only have so much time and only so many pages, and you have to make cuts where you can. So there's always been like this, yeah, there's an underwater nation. Ships pay tolls and have sailing rights over the Thundering Sea to get to Zendrick and Stormreach there. However, we don't really know anything about it other than Yeah, they exist. They're there. The Schwagen and the Sea Elves, they're a thing, but not really anything else than that. And this dives into how is Underwater World in Eberron different. 5th edition, I think, is a great time to explore that. I don't think this would have gone well in other older editions of D&D, mostly because Underwater Adventures kind of sucked, personally, until now. Like, the rule set and mechanics of underwater battle and things like that are interesting and not always used, but they're not to the point where they're cumbersome to make you go let's just not deal with that so to see that is nice i would like to see a little bit more of an overview of all of the nations a little bit broader scope, kind of like what we've seen in five nations or other source books where like here's a big overarching thing of here's all of like the different nations that are in the seas we don't need the deep dives of them but we definitely need the 101 level Chapter 5. Now, this is the chapter that I think I was most excited about when I got the book, but I think the Uncharted Dominions tipped as my favorite chapter of the book when going through it. Not to say that this isn't, like, number two in my list, but the Planes of Eberron. Eberron has a unique cosmology. It is not the standard planes that d d worlds typically have, So we've gotten the names, we've gotten what their descriptors are, we know what the Plane of Fire name is, we know what Delkor and all of these, the Realm of Dreams and and all that is, and we've gotten some details on some of them, but there's never been a Planes of Eberron book to go, this is how the Plane of Fire in Eberron is not like the Plane of Fire that your standard D&D books have described. It's long, long overdue for this chapter, to be honest. Some of the best art in this book comes out of this chapter. This is probably what I would think would be the linchpin of what started exploring Eberron, and everything kind of spiraled and built from there. It feels like that in the book, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I feel like there was a lot of love and care put into this chapter, and it shows in the content and the quality that is there. It is not as exhaustive as I would have hoped a true Planes of Eberron book could do, but it does a really good job expanding from the couple paragraphs that we've had for each plane in the past to a couple pages for each plane. It's baby steps. Now, you know, we're going from a handful of paragraphs to a handful of pages, and now we can go to maybe a whole book that really dives into each of them with each getting their own chapter where they're getting a a dozen pages dedicated to each plane or so. That's a pipe dream. I would love to see it. Keith, if you are listening to this podcast for whatever reason, thank you for writing it this much already. I'm looking forward to more. We're already at 200 of the 250 pages, so the last 50 pages are really your player option pieces. Your character options, add a couple backgrounds, add a couple sub-races that help flavor some of the races to Eberron, like the elves or the dwarves. A little bit more on the gnolls, the goblins, the bugbears that you can play, and they're really encouraged to play in Eberron because they're all over the place. A couple more class options for the artificer, which was introduced in Rising of the Last War, but we have seen Tasha's Cauldron everything at this point, and gotten a little bit more from there. So here's a couple other ones, and I think the Druid Circle of the Forge was my favorite add in this, where if you're playing a Warforged Druid, you might want to look at that, because it's going to feel a little bit more like what a Warforged, which is not necessarily a natural creature dealing with things like Wild Shape and how do you blend those two things. Chapter 7, which covers some magic items, some very nice common items, some very much Dragon Mark focus items, which we've been lacking. Focus items are a unique thing to Eberron, because if you have a dragon mark, these are items that only work for people with that particular dragon mark. Kind of a lock and key system, and that's what makes the dragon mark houses a very powerful entity. It's not just, oh, here's a couple spell effects they can do. There are specific magical items that only work for the heirs of the mark. Since the dwarves have been dived into symbiotes and things of that nature, they have a decent page or two on having sample symbiotes, so you can include those into your games if you wish. And then the book finalizes with uh, friends and foes, which is a little bit of a monster man, a couple fey rulers, a couple merfolk, a little bit about the quarry, some swagon because we have more swagon information finally. It doesn't add anything super detailed or great that I would say, oh, you have to buy the book based on those, but they're nice to have, And when you're looking at building a book for something like the DM's Guild, you want to make sure you have a little bit of those things in there because that's what people are also are looking for sometimes. It's like, hey, can I get a new monster I can lift out of this? So that's the overview and my thoughts as I went through the book. Overall, I haven't talked about my favorite piece of the book still. And it's a natural way of writing that I think more D&D books or more RPG books in general need to do this. I called it a lore book and a lot of lore books out there prior to this that I've read that is Here's just information download. Deal with it. Figure out whatever. Use it or not use it. I'll I'll go back. Age of Demons. There is a section of here's what the Age of Demons is. It starts with a couple bullet points. Here's the big things that you need to know. A couple paragraphs of here's the bigger stuff that you should probably know about. How it started. You know, big strokes. What happened in the middle. How that age ended. But they go a step further in this book. Why does it matter? This is something that you can craft stories around. This is something that you can craft characters around. Then they take it a step further of how do you want to create a character with the Age of Demons in mind? Like you want to use the Age of Demons as your inspiration for your character. How can you do that? We're talking about something that nobody remembers other than myths, fables, and legends. So having that was one of those beautiful strokes of genius of how do I use this information? everyone for me has always been inspiring i read a section and go oh i can think of an adventure or i can think of a character or i can think of something that can use this having some of that is amazing to behold throughout the book and it's not just oh it's just this one section it is throughout the entire freaking book of how do i use this in my game simply this is a great lore dump but why does it matter to me and that was the greatest thing i saw about this book a couple other things, there were some nice sidebars throughout it too that were very much, I mean, there was even one in the faith section about spoilers, like, hey, we're going to hit some lore stuff that may or may not be true based on how you want to run your Eberron, but players beware, you may not want to read this the jams, you may not want your players to read this because if you want to use this as inspiration, use it as a surprise, you know, like things of that nature, like, hey, just heads up, we're hitting some weird territory here. It's a very thoughtfully put-together book from the start to the finish, and I think that is the thing that struck me the most when I am going through it. I'm not going to say I looked at all of the archetypes and made sure that they looked balanced. or No, that's not what I got this book for. I got this book for the lore and how can I incorporate this into my Eberron games in the future. Honestly, I think the book hits it out of the park for that. Some of the things I would also say is this is not a book for everybody. If you're not into Eberron, you're not going to care about this book. If you're not interested in running an Eberron game, you may not need this book. I think it's a great use, and if you have inspiration to make a character that is tied to the Moreholds or if is tied to Doram and you want to make a Hobgoblin from Doram, this might be a book that you might want to pick up and add to your collection for that particular character depth. I don't think it's a book everybody needs to have. However, if you're an Eberron fan, definitely pick this one up. If you are a DM running an Eberron game, I highly recommend the book in that sense. And if you're a player, take a look at the table of contents on the DMs Guild. If there's anything that pops out to you, either that I've described throughout this episode or that you see on that list, highly consider picking the book up, maybe in the PDF form for yourself, or as a group, maybe pitch in together and share a copy. Either way exploring eberron was a fun read i really am looking forward to seeing what else kb presents puts out as i think this is just opening the floodgates for future potential i want to say thank you for listening to tabletop arcane's review of exploring eberron from kb presents and keith baker if you enjoy this episode we are on facebook instagram and twitter we're also on youtube so find like subscribe hit that notification button leave us a comment please leave us a review at wherever you listen to this podcast as we do appreciate and read all of those Until next time, happy gaming. You've been listening to Tabletop Arcanum, hosted by Justin Taylor and Richard Geese, and featuring the original music by Paul Moore and Isaac Gilbert. You can follow us on most social media platforms. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks for listening.